It was about 7.30 at night, and Paul was trying to uh, put the girls down and look for a, a book to read them when he heard a crash in the kitchen. And he ran in there, and he found his wife, Diana, on the floor, collapsed. And her eyes were kind of fixed and staring into space, and she wasn't breathing. So immediately he started doing CPR and doing compressions. Wow, he was uh, a little panicked about it. As you can imagine, about a minute into it, he called 911, and the dispatcher kind of walked him through the rest, and he's doing compressions and everything for seven minutes. He's talking to her, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. Then the EMTs and the doctors showed up, paramedics and so forth, and they kind of take over, and then they start doing some of those shocker things and all of that goes on. They, they, they shocked her seven times, and she was still unresponsive. After 47 minutes of not breathing, heart not beating, whatever, for whatever reason, on the eighth shock, she, her eyes popped open, she took a breath, and she says, where's my husband? They brought Paul back in the room, and they embraced, said they loved each other. They took her to the hospital, and 12 days later, she walked out of there, and she's perfectly fine. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, one cool side of that story is that she's a person of deep faith. And so she had a really deepened experience in her faith as a result of all of this. And she learned that while she was there in that unconscious state in her cardiac arrest, that there was a neighbor who saw the paramedics and stood in her yard and prayed for her. She learned that neighbor's name was Chad. And um, so after she's back home, she looks up everybody, the dispatcher, the paramedics, and she's thanking everybody, and she goes and chases down finds this guy, Chad. When she was there in that unconscious state somehow, she saw a vision of a man wearing uh, blue jeans and sneakers and a gray hoodie over his face just saying, it's all right, you're going to be okay. You're not alone. She chased everyone down to thank him, and she found that neighbor named Chad, and she said, man, I want to thank you for, for just, I heard you prayed for me, and I wanted to ask you what you remember about that night, and she specifically asked him, what were you wearing? <laughs> and he said, jeans, sneakers, and a, and a gray hoodie, which is kind of one cool part of the story, as he was part of what brought her back to life. This is a story about a woman who was dead. Clinically dead, heartbeat, oxygen, brain function, all that. And then it came back to life. And that is something that most of the time, as we all know, does not happen that way. Uh, when a person goes, they're, they're often gone. And it's very, very sad and, and tragic and difficult, despite how many times you're shocked and all that. But what happened to her with her physical heart and her body can happen to actually every single one of us in a spiritual sense. Did you know that? Like no matter how unconscious, no matter how dead we may be to God, we can experience revival, we can experience resuscitation, we can experience new life, we can experience a whole new way of going at life we can come into a relationship with Jesus for the first time ever and come alive to him. Or after being stagnant and on the kitchen floor for a long time, we can come back. And when you are alive to God, everything in your life gets better. Okay? When you're alive to God, everything in your life gets better. 
We're going to unpack what that means and what it would look like in each of our lives. Now, in John 15, Jesus is teaching, and he says these words. He says, I, speaking of himself, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. So he's thinking of a big, you know, stalk of, of like an, of maybe grapes or something, but a tree with branches on it. Those who remain in me, like a branch connected to the, to the trunk, and I in them, you, I, I will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is a branch that we just jerked off the property here, and it's kind of a... Um, it's, it's got, um, I think it's a holly tree or something like that. Is that what that is? I don't even know. It's got some fruit on it. You see that? And Jesus is giving a simple teaching that, you know, I'm, this, I'm the trunk. Th- this branch is, you know, connected to the trunk, and that's how it draws its life. The nutrients come from the ground through the roots up through the trunk and then feed. The, that's how it has fruit. That's how it's green. That's, that's how it is. And if you cut this off, it dies. It's going to die. If you abide, though, and remain connected, stay close and feed off of me. Get your life out of me. Stay alive to me. You'll live. Verse, five, verse 4 says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Friends, the way we stay alive to God is stay connected to Jesus, like this branch would be. And fortunately for us, you've heard the process of grafting, where you take a branch and you hold it up, and, and you, you do a process, and it can work itself right back in where it can actually connect back in. And that Jesus says, that's exactly how it works with me. Friends, I know a lot of people are trying to live their life like this, even some Christian people. They're trying to live their life like this. They're not really connected to Christ in any real way, in real time, in real life on a daily basis. They know some stuff. They say some stuff. They show up some places, but they're not connected to the vine. How about you? Like right now in this season of your life, how would you say you're doing? When Jesus says remain tight, connected, feeding off your life with me, does that describe you? Because, you know, this thing here has actually already been cut off. It'll look green for a while, won't it? But not forever, unless it's grafted back in. After a while, it, it won't have any fruit. Friends, over the next few weeks, you're invited to come closer to Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about. I don't know where you are with Jesus, but you're invited to come closer, to become more alive to God, to walk more closely with the Spirit, to think about your whole spiritual world in a completely different way, to be more aware of God's presence. Don't put any of this in a category you already have. Wipe the slate clean and just just think about this because maybe there's a little tiny part of some of us that has been a little hungry for something more. Maybe there's a little part of you that, I don't know, you like, you want to do something more than learn some new stuff in your head or Obey the Christian rules so that it only governs our kind of external behaviors. You want to do more than just be active and busy all the time for God. There's something that you're looking for. And if finding real growth and connection to God sounds good to you, then this is for you. And if it doesn't sound good to you yet, stick around and try something in a little bit. Because sometimes um, we go through life 
and, and we're just disconnected from God. Now, I, I, I have experienced that kind of slippage in my life. Have you experienced that kind of slippage where you made a, maybe some of you who are Christ followers, you, are, you made a profession, you say, I'm going to walk with God, you're close to God, but then something slips and you drift and you get busy, distracted, you get out of touch with God. And before long, you kind of look and you realize, man, I just, I don't ever talk to God, I'm not really feeding much here. David, in the Old Testament, I, I'm so, I just think it's such a profound um, verse of Scripture because it describes what it really looks like when you're super, super alive to God. Psalm 42 says this, um, As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul, think of that word now, my soul longs for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, th this is talking about a wild deer in the desert that is like panicked about dying unless it finds a stream somewhere because that's where it's going to live is it's got to get some water. And it's like trained on that one thing. Like it's just you couldn't talk about anything. You just want to find that water. And he says, when I'm alive to God, that's how it feels. I'm just like I'm focused. I'm like I, 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 I'm looking for God around every corner. And, and other times... Not so much. So how is it with your soul? How, how is it with your soul? As, you, as you're leading your, your family, you're living with, with others maybe. As, you're, as you go to work, how is it with your soul? As you come home and you're by yourself in the car and you think of the attitudes that swoop in, and how is it with your soul? As you interact with others, and as you live your whole life, is it from a place of what we call soul health? From a healthy place? So a lot of this is really, um, but it's deeply personal for all of us. It certainly is that way for me because especially, there's so much I, I could tell you about my own life here, but there, there's been periods of my life and there was a time in ministry when I think of one particular period when I was working really, really hard. We were growing fast and I was working hard and running hard. I'm kind of a driven person, you know, I'm an achiever and like things to get done and like to do more and more. And so I was running hard and I started to, you know, when you kind of start smelling something, what's that burning sound? What's that burning smell? <laughs> and you realize it's your own self <laughs> that's burning out a little bit. That's what was happening to me. I, I was trying to lead well and things were going pretty well. There was still some green on the tree, but I was starting to sense something's wrong. Something's off a little bit. It's like one day I woke up and I realized I'm trying to do all this stuff for God, but I wasn't really sure how connected I was in that particular season with God myself. I, I was busy doing the work of the Lord, but I wasn't really even paying attention to the, the work that the Lord wanted to do in me. We were, we were putting out a feast for, for the people. You know, everybody was dining at, at the Mountain Cafe, but I, I myself going through a little season where I, I was, um, you know, on a very strict diet, apparently. Wasn't eating very well at all. And I just, that was like a wake-up call, and a, something was wrong, and I, I want to be able to say, it doesn't everyone want to be able to say, you want to live out of a deep, authentic place in your life, where you're, you're living your life with your family out of a place that is God-directed, and you're, I certainly wanted to lead the church out of, out of that perspective, and, and I knew I needed to do something to, to come alive again in a fuller way to God. And that led us 
on a journey of approaching a lot of things differently as a staff. We've made some profound uh, changes in my own personal life, and it's changed some things about the way we conduct our eldership that leads this church and makes decisions and some things that we put in place as policies for the pastors and some, some, some things to, to try to get rhythms and taught and repeated around here to take some measures so we can kind of be healthier at a soul level, if at all possible. And we have to have that stuff because I'm still that guy. I still want to kind of run and forget God's days, God sometimes. And I, I still want to do things on my own power. And it's, if, I, if I don't use some of these practices, then, then I, that's where I end up. So when I ask, how is it with your soul, it's, it's personal for you too, isn't it? You know exactly kind of what I'm talking about, I bet. So one thing that's been helpful for me is when someone kind of walked me through thinking about what the word soul even means. Like, um, like, let's talk about that word soul for a minute. And we can always look back at Jesus on this because he does some great teaching. One of the great classic passages is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take your cross up, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. It's one of those powerful things that Jesus said. There's a way you want to live your life, a way I want to live my life that has to be laid down if you're really going to go after the life Jesus has. There's a life that we think is better if we're in charge and we can try to hold on to that, but you'll end up losing the best life you really want if you do that, is what Jesus is saying. You've got to trust me and do things my way. And then he has this huge rhetorical question in, chapter, in verse 26. He says, and what are you going to benefit? Like, like seriously, what are you going to benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul. There's at least two profound truths out of that. I think one thing he's saying is if you don't have Christ in your life, you say, I'm just going to hold on to my life. I'm going to live it on my terms. It's a huge mistake because you end up throwing your own life away in the process. You can get everything you think you want in life, money and fame and success and power and family and fun and adventure and vacations and all that. But at the end of the day, if you don't have Jesus, you still won't have the thing you want in this life that everybody wants, which is peace and contentment and joy. And he's going on, I think, to say, what good does it do you to sort of gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Jesus, I think, is saying that at the end of your life, you will face an eternal destiny of one way or another. You will spend the rest of eternity either with God, alive to God, or separated and cut off from God, just like that branch is now, either in or out. That's how eternal life is spent. And all this stuff that we think is so important about our life at that moment is going to be revealed as just silly emptiness. You could gain the whole world if you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've gained a lot in this life, but you're not prepared for the next. Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father through me. So don't make the horrible mistake of being alive to the world, alive to the trends and the fashions, alive to talk radio, alive to your sports teams, alive to your next decorating project, alive to all the things that we get sidetracked with, you know, our family and finances, all those are good things. Pay attention to them, but don't get so sidetracked that you're alive to those things and you're not alive to God because you'll end up at the end 
forfeiting your soul. Heaven is basically for people who want to be alive to God. And at the end, we all gather together and we're alive forever with God. And if you don't want to be alive to God, then you've chosen that for yourself. So I would just say, if you're not sure where you stand with Christ today, I would say at the end of our service, or if you're watching online, you need to click to talk to one of our people, one of our hosts, and at the end of the service here at all of our campuses, we have friends up, just come and say, I want, to, I want to start coming alive to God. And you can do that starting today. I hope many of us do that over the next few weeks. Now, I said there were two clear implications. There's another implication here. When Jesus says, what good does it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? We're thinking about that word soul, remember? And a second clear implication is something my friend Mindy Caliguire has pointed out to me, and I, I was so grateful for it. When Jesus made this statement, who is he talking to? Do you remember when we started the whole passage up here a minute ago? It started by saying, Jesus said to his disciples. He's not talking to people who have yet to choose him or follow him. He's talking to insiders, people who are already Christ followers. And he warns them, you got your soul saved, that's great, but you could still kind of lose your soul. So losing your soul is not only important like am I saved or not saved. It's also about the health of your soul and whether you're really alive to God. What if we're saved and what if we're a Christian and what if we've got a great small group and what if we have an attendance that's awesome and what if you're a pastor but you forfeit your soul? Jesus seems to be saying to disciples that it's possible. And so that word soul, we have to unpack it. What is he talking about? Well, let me, let me give you a little quick lesson here. Um, the word soul in Greek, which is the language the Bible was written in, is the word suke. Suke, it's pronounced. Suke, you want to try it? You can say it. Suke. You might, re you might recognize we get like psychology or, or psyche from the same word, right? And what it means is basically it's the innermost part of who you really are. That's your suke. That's your soul. It's like the deepest part that makes you distinctly and uniquely you is your suke. It's you. It's your life. It's, it's, it's that. So you look, you look at, um, at verse 25. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, that's actually the word suke. You try to, try to hang on to it, you're going to lose it. But if you give it up, like, you'll, you'll actually save it. That word suke is translated life. Now, if you look at the next verse, most translations change how it's translated. You look at verse 26. You add it in here. It says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own? Guess what? It's the same word, suke. Most of our translations put the word soul in there because that's what somebody translated a long time ago as. But it's the same thing. And here's the point. Biblically understood, the concept of, of the human soul is inextricably bound together with your whole life. Your soul is your life. Every part of it. It's not just this floaty spirit thing that drifts out of you like in the cartoons after you pass away, leaving your body behind. It's not just whether you're saved or unsaved that's your soul. No, no, your soul is you. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Okay? Is that making sense? See the difference? Whatever makes you you, your mind, your thoughts, your, your emotions, your physical body, your way of relating to people, all that, all of it, what's you is your soul. That's you. Your soul is the most true thing about you. And 
God breathed his life into you. He breathed his breath into you. So he's got some of his imprint and then some stuff that's uniquely you. And so when we say, how is it with your soul, we're not talking about something that's sort of a special thing for a few rare types who like to go to soul care classes or sit in silence or be real contemplative all the time. We're talking about all of us because all of us have a life. When we say, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? We're saying, are you alive to God in the way you're living your life? Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. The part down inside of you will determine what happens in your life, doesn't it? Isn't that true? Like what, what happens down inside, it determines so much, everything flows from it. So guard your heart as your innermost person. So whether you like it or not or know it or not or care about this or not, your soul drives everything you care about. Your soul drives your relationships, your work, your habits, your personality, the, your health, and all of that. So Life with God simply happens when we say yes to God, to Christ Jesus and his good news of salvation, and you step into his family. You are born anew, born again, and you are alive for the first time. It's exciting, and it's important. If you haven't taken that step, I hope you do. But you know what? What happens after that is important also. And after that, Jesus is saying, once your soul is saved, pay attention to your soul still, because it can either be healthy and alive to God or not so much. And I know all that from personal experience about what it's like to have a saved soul that's in poor health. A soul that sometimes languishes or struggles. So, I want to I take us on a, a kind of journey that someone took me on one time. A kind of experience, a sort of ex experiential learning here. So we're going to go to school here, and you've got a piece of paper in front of you. We're going to use that at home. Grab a piece of paper and a pen because we're going to write some stuff, and uh, we're, we're going to ask this question: what, what are what are the symptoms of how our souls are doing? I mean, let's think about that for just a minute. You know, what, what are some of the symptoms of how our soul is doing? Think about symptoms. We have symptoms with our physical bodies, don't we? And so when we have good health, you can look and see symptoms. It's like, oh, your color looks good. You put a stethoscope. Oh, I can hear your heart. Your breathing looks good. You have energy. You, you, you have all these symptoms when you're doing well physically, right? You know that there are symptoms of good health. Well, guess what? There are symptoms of health in your soul realm as well. Now, if I have bad symptoms in my body, it's like, oh, I got a pain in my chest, or I can't taste right now, I can't smell anything, I got a fever and a cough. We know all about looking at symptoms, don't we? We know all about that. They tell you that, boy, you, you might want to respond to something here. There's probably something off. If you've got a fever, take an aspirin, whatever. So, friends, just as your physical body has symptoms, your soul has symptoms when it's in good health or bad health as well. Okay? So what are some of the symptoms of poor soul health? Okay? Particularly your soul. What are some of the symptoms of soul health. You know, my, I love what my friend Mindy says here. She says, nobody sets out with a desire to trash the well-being of their soul. But we get running and gunning and going and doing and sometimes we just kind of forget about God. And then we forget that we forgot. And, and when you're in one of those places where you're kind of like not really living with God in your mind at all, we forget that he's with us. We forget that he's for us, and next thing you know, we're kind of just solving problems and doing life on our own strength and our own way, and we forget that he loves us. 
We're not really alive to God. And then when you're in that space, maybe it's a season or a while, there are certain symptoms that pop up in your life, aren't there? So what are your symptoms of poor soul health? When you're running and gunning and going and doing and forgetting God. Take out that sheet of paper and draw a line from vertically down the middle, just like right here, just like draw a line, boom, right there. We're going to have two columns we're going to work with here. Two halves. And on the left, you can just write soul neglect. What are my symptoms? And let's just, I'm going to encourage you to think about it. Like, what's going on in your life when you're not really connected to God? When you're not spiritually healthy, okay? When you know you're not walking with God, what leaks out of your life? What are some of the symptoms that, oh yeah, mm, I'm there? What do you see pop up? You write your list and just, we'll take the next few minutes, you just write. Write down a trait, something that you know is there. I'll tell you some of mine while you're doing that. It might prompt some ideas. We'll spend a few minutes on this, so think deeply about this. This is really going to help us. I'll tell you some of mine and, and some, some from others as well. So one is like irritability, right? Like irritability is like I'm just short-fused or not our best. Negative attitude crops up. Like cynical, you look at the dark side more. Or you get overwhelmed easily. Is ringing bells with anybody? How about just exhaustion? You just feel tired. Like, not, like, not like I need a nap kind of tired, you know, but I'm, I'm deeply tired. How, how about emotionally flat? That's a big one for me. I just don't get real excited. I don't cry how often I normally cry. I just kind of flat. Uh, everything's personal. And what normally would roll off your back, you're like, ooh, that one really stung and kind of knocks you. How about fear? It might be gnawing like a little rat on a rope. It might be like a hippo on your chest, but it's fear is there. Some people will say your eating habits. When I'm not connect, when I'm just not living right, I, everything gets off with my eating stuff, and I goes to pot, uh, or just no quiet time with God, no scripture, prayer really happening. Loss of a desire to really connect with the church. You don't really want to be around those people. Don't don't care about going, man. Maybe I just skip small group. It's a symptom. Or, or when you do come, you go into a spectator mode, like you don't really want to risk engaging deeply with God. The song comes up and you just kind of watch. Or maybe you get physically sick, you have an ailment, you know, a headache or something like that, or anger, you erupt or boil over it stuff. What are your symptoms? For some, it's insomnia, they, they can't sleep at night. Or often you'll see something like kind of indulgence, I want to uh, dive in and indulge and uh, maybe escapism or a sexual sin pattern or selfishness or impatience. So you make your list, okay? Now, some of those are just normal emotions, like fear is a normal emotion, you know, but if you're becoming a fearful person and you've got anxiety all the time, you have panic attacks, that's a symptom of something not healthy. Anger can be healthy, you know, if you react in a strong way to something, but if you're becoming an angry person, you react in rage or you hold bitterness inside. That's, that's, when, that's when it belongs on this list. And sometimes remember now, you got things from your past. I talked to a person that, that, that has suffered some sexual abuse as a young boy. And as an adult now, when he's in a not a good place with God, he hears these voices come back and he gets filled with shame. And he starts acting a certain insecure, defensive way. And he knows he's got to come alive to God again. Maybe something from your past or your personality will influence what goes on that list, whether it's drivenness or getting judgy or, or whatever. And those are dummy lights that tell you something. Now, okay, take a look at your list. 
I don't know what's on your list. Maybe some of these, some different ones. Keep, keep writing there. But now I want, let's flip over to the other side for a second. Okay? Go over to the other side of the ledger. What are your symptoms of soul health? When you are kind of like in a good place with God, like the time, maybe think of a season in your life when you were as close to God as you can remember. Things, you just, you know, you were, you were tight, you were close, it felt good, you knew he was near, he was for you, you had peace. It might be recently, it might be a long time ago, it might have been when you were going through something, you were really disciplined and reading your Bible, or it might have been when all hell was breaking loose, but you still felt really close and connected to God. What kind of person were you in that season? What leaked out of you? Make a list. This one might be harder. I'm going to encourage you to really be honest. What leaked out of you when you're really doing well? Excitement is what a lot of people say. I was, just, I was more excited about everything. Another one will say gratitude. Gratitude welled up. I, was, I saw things I was grateful that I never had before. Another will say joy and enthusiasm and laughter and compassion. Some will say good tears like I weep at the right things like Jesus might have wept thoughtfulness. I'm not so insecure. I have security about me. Peace and patience. I have empathy for people. I'm more creative. I'm in my element. I just love people better when I'm in that space. I'm calmer. I have contentment. I have a sense of rest. I have, I'm more non-judgmental. I have some more energy. I'm humble. I have vision. You see, the list goes on and on and on. You look at that list. It's like a list of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, God. It's because when you're walking with the Spirit, this stuff grows out of you. When you're connected, it comes out. That's the fruit that comes. Friends, some of these things, you know, let me ask you this. What is your family? Which list does your family hope you'll live out of? I mean, is that a dumb question? Yeah. Well, which list do you want to live out of? Do you realize you get to decide which list you live out of? You do. We would never in our right minds choose that first list, but actually every day we're kind of voting for one list or the other. And also don't forget, the second list of really good things doesn't always happen when life's great, when your bank account's full and everything's happy in your life. Sometimes it's in your hardest moments. When, when you are in the middle of searing pain that you can still have a beautiful trust in Jesus and feel close and connected. The choices we make about Jesus determine which list you live out of. Now, I don't have to try to convince you that the second list is, the, is possible because, listen now, if you, if you participated in this experiment, you wrote something on that second list, you already know it's possible. You've been there. You've done it. It's just that sustaining it sometimes is hard. But it does flow out of you when you're connected. So that's why, it's, that's why it's possible. Listen, how often is God with us? Always. All the time. It's just that we, he promises, I'll never leave or forsake you. I'm right there with you all the time. I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. It's just that we sometimes forget. It's that we sometimes don't notice. It's our awareness of God's presence that is the key difference between being alive to God and not so much. Did you hear that? It's our awareness. It's not like we have to drum up God or make some presence happen out of our own strength. What fluctuates is our awareness. Jesus said one time in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and I knock. He's talking about the door of your heart, of your life, of your soul. 
He's not going to force his way in ever, but he will knock, and he is there. And sometimes I think we get so busy and the music's up so loud, we just... We don't even hear him knocking and we leave him out in the cold. And that's what we call a period of time when our soul is not very alive to God. And that's when that other list comes up and is just full of all that horrible stuff that we don't like and don't want to become. But it happens because we don't open the door. This is a decision about healthy soul living that does not mean you've got to go through a 10-year course and do 25 steps and join some special group or do anything because soul health is about Jesus in you. And he is literally one step away. When you open the door and Jesus comes in, he doesn't leave part of himself out. He comes in all the way, all of him. And if you've got Jesus, you've got soul health. Does that make sense? It's beautiful promise. Friends, a healthy soul is at every moment as near as your breath. It's not necessarily a long road back. It's not because that's how close Jesus is. You just have to open the door. You have to open the door, and all of him comes in. So the essential question is, are you going to open the door to Christ? Are you going to open the door to Christ? Are you going to open the door and say, I want to come alive? My simple hope was that we would think a little bit together about some really important, serious stuff about, like, where are you with God right now? Are you staying alive? Now, you do some honest assessment about those two lists because we all live out of each of those lists sometimes. It's normal. That that assessment would help you ask, how is it with my soul? And to remember and realize God is closer than you think. And to know that you, like a branch, can be grafted back in in this very moment right now and begin to bear fruit again that's not fake but real and to begin to experience that with God. Can I just encourage you? Here's your assignment. Just talk with God about this. Just tell him, Jesus, I feel like that branch that got cut off. I want to I draw my life from you again. Just tell him. Because, friends, I promise you there is nothing more exciting than coming alive to God. Nothing. What God wants to do in your life is like the same thing that happens when a little worm turns into a butterfly. It goes into that cocoon. God does something weird, mysterious, amazing process, and it flies out of there one day, completely transformed. But God does that. And your job is not to change yourself, to work at this. Our job is to simply create the space, the cocoon, if you will, the conditions in your life in which God can do what only God can do to help us connect with him more deeply. God's job is to change you, but your job is to do the one thing you can do, and that is to set the conditions right. So we're going to look at some simple practices over the next few weeks that have revolutionized my life and some others. The best practices that work as cocoons that give God space to work are the oldies. Scripture, prayer, Spend time with other believers. Serve the Lord. Love God, love people, serve the world. But I want to take each of those kind of deeper with some super fascinating practices that many of you are not aware of, you've never even heard of. But they've been super helpful ones to me and have led to huge breakthroughs for a lot of people. I want to help you find your unique pathway to God because it's different than anyone else's. 
That's next week. I want to help you with a practice that you can do uh, every day, that I do every day, and our elders do every day, and it's brought new life to our walk with God. And I want to finally then give you a new way of hearing from God, a new way of reading Scripture that a lot of you don't know about, and I can teach it to you like that, and it'll make a difference for you too. And I would say one last thing, and this will all go better if you do it with someone. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. What, what do you think about being alive to God? What, how's it with your soul? In your small group, with your friends, find someone who cares about this and do it with them, okay? All right, let's jump in next week. Let's pray. God, we, we invite you here and into this place and into our minds, into our hearts in this moment, and we want to acknowledge that we so often run away from you. Whether we sin on purpose or we just wander and drift or get lazy or forgetful, but we want to run to you now. We want to be with you, and we thank you for your presence in us, and we pray that good things will happen as we stay alive to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.